You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, church. Very good morning. I want to invite you to take a seat. And once you've found that seat, can I invite you to stand? I want to introduce you to Patience and to Sylvester, who are going to read the Word of God for us today. We're standing in recognition that we're about to hear the living words spoken. And so, Patience Sylvester, would you read for us? Good morning, church. The reading of today is taken from Luke chapter 19, starting from verse 41 to 44. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today you of all people will understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you from the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize when God visited you. Church, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Glory be to God. Amen. Amen. Everyone have a seat. I remember growing up, uh, I was told many times that if I watched too much TV, my eyes would go square. Anyone else told that growing up? I see a few parents are like, yeah, I told my kid that. I told him. I told him good. Well, here's the thing. In the 90s, uh, that was more of a possibility because my TV actually was square, you know? Back in the day, uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have flat screens with all nice and wide and rectangular. There was a small, terrible square that was uh, in, our, in our rooms. And here's the thing. If I'm to tell my son Peter the same thing, you know, it doesn't have quite the same ring to it. If I say, yeah, Pete, you watch too much TV, your eyes are going to go rectangular. It just doesn't sound quite right. But here's the thing. I'm a little bit older now. Now, and so I'm not a five-year-old John looking in the mirror going, are they square yet? Oh no, I think I watch too much TV. I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. But here's the thing. As I've got older, uh, I've obviously realized um, that's not quite true. However, there's a sentiment at the heart of that saying that is, and it's this, that as human beings, we really are shaped by what we give our attention to. As human beings, we are profoundly shaped by what we give our attention to. We could say it this way. That as human beings, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. And this reality is why time and time again, the writers of the New Testament are telling us to pay attention to what we are paying attention to. There is so much weight given in Scripture to being intentional about what we are letting into our mind, what we are giving our attention to. Why? Because it shapes us. Now, at this moment, you'll be like, oh no, this is one of those Sundays where the pastor just gets up there, lists a whole bunch of stuff I shouldn't be doing, super discouraged. He's probably going to talk about how terrible cell phones are, how destructive, and, and you know what? I could, because let's be honest, these things are deadly, but it's not that message today. I'm just going to trust that when we all go home, the Holy Spirit is going to do that work of convicting you. I don't have to do it, okay? So you can already think of all the things you shouldn't be beholding. Let the Holy Spirit do that work. Maybe Pastor Sam next week can touch on that, but I am going to give the encouraging message this morning, which is this. Can I encourage us? If it is true that we become what we behold, then to behold Jesus is to become like him. 
If it's true that we become what we behold, then to behold Jesus is to become like him. And in case you think I'm getting this from a TED talk or a YouTube video or some pop psychology book that I picked up a chapters. No, this reality is in the word of God. This is from the pages of scripture. Let me read for us 2 Corinthians 3.18. The apostle Paul says this, and we all with unveiled face, look at this, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Note this morning, friends, we have a relationship between beholding Jesus and being transformed to become like him into the same image from one degree of glory to another and are you ready for the encouraging part who's doing the transforming for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit friends I want to start with encouragement today God's end goal for our lives is that we will become like Jesus that we will gradually be shaped into people that live and love like him and here's the good news the one who does the transforming is God himself And it's a process where as we give our attention to God, as we behold Jesus, as we give ourselves to him, there is work taking place underneath the contours of our life where the Spirit's doing a transforming work and we really do change. But here's the thing, even this text can sound a little bit maybe stuffy or a little bit ethereal. And I don't think the accent helps. Uh, Sam was kind of making fun of me a little bit earlier there. But, you know, this phrase of beholding the glory of the Lord. It's like, John, what does that mean, man? Like, that's, that sounds really poetic and lovely, but what on earth does it mean to behold the glory of the Lord? Friends, simply put, to behold the glory of Jesus means to give him our attention. It means to have our mind set on God, to actually spend time in our daily lives looking at him, thinking about him, being with him. I want to share this great quote from Dallas Willard with you, who is kind of a guru in the area of spiritual formation. He says this, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. Friends, we need to keep God before our minds, to be regularly beholding him, to pay attention to him in our lives. Do you know that's why we gather together here every week? To do a corporate beholding? We just got here, we sung a bunch of beautiful songs about Jesus. Together, we were beholding him in song. We're opening up the living word together and we are beholding him through the living word. We are putting our attention on Jesus together. Sometimes we come and there's bread and there's juice and we have the Lord's Supper together. We're beholding Jesus and his glory through communion. And afterwards, we're gonna be probably many of us us praying with one another, beholding Jesus, giving our attention to him together. This is a corporate beholding, giving our attention to him. And as we do these things, God is at work to transform us, to become like Jesus, to learn how to live and love more like him. So why am I telling you all this? Well, as Sam said, we're starting a new series called Behold, Behold. And over these next few weeks, leading up to Easter Sunday, during this Lent season, we're going to endeavor to do just that together. We're gonna take time as a church to behold, to give our attention to Jesus, specifically the last few days before his crucifixion. Okay, that's what's coming up in these next few weeks. We're gonna zoom in on these last few days of Jesus's life and ministry leading up to the cross. And here's what I know, because we just read it in scripture. As we do this together, God's gonna do some work in our lives. As we behold Jesus, as we behold his journey to the cross, as we behold his resurrection, God is going to speak to us and do some work in our lives. And so here is the warning on this series, my friends. My parents told me as a kid, don't watch too much TV, your eyes will go square. I'm telling you today, warning for this series, or perhaps an encouragement, however you take it, 
Perhaps if we spend this time over the next few weeks looking at, beholding Jesus, we might begin to see that our eyes become a little bit more Jesus-shaped. Amen. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you are here with us this morning. Thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you speak. You are a speaking, living God. And today we open up your speaking, living word. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see your glory? Jesus, we want to behold you, which is give our attention to you this morning. And we believe that as we do this, you will be transforming us. And so God, we're opening our lives to hear you speak. Would you be with us in this time? Amen. Well, friends, we're starting this behold journey by looking at this moment that we just read in Luke 19. Bit of context. Jesus is coming to the Mount of Olives. This is the last time before he's crucified that Jesus is going to enter the city of Jerusalem. And he's come to the top of this mount called the Mount of Olives. I have a picture of it right here. I had the privilege of being able to stand in this spot with Pastor Sam and some others a few months ago with Mark Francisco, Pastor Mark and Diane. We got to go. And this was the spot that we were looking on. The same one that Jesus was right there on the Mount of Olives and as you come up to the brow of the hill you get this stunning view of Jerusalem so Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he stops this is his last time before heading down on this journey to the cross and he sees this city and something really interesting happens he begins to weep and he begins to cry out and today we're beginning our journey by looking at this moment together, by beholding this moment. And so there's so much to see in this passage, but there's three things I want us to focus on today, okay? Three things. First this, I want us to behold the weeping Jesus, okay? I want us to behold the weeping Jesus. I want us to behold the longing Jesus. And I want us to behold the visiting Jesus. This is what God has for us this morning. Okay, let's jump in. Behold the weeping Jesus. Verse 41 says this. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Here's one of the most amazing truths in scripture. God is fully human, but he's also fully God. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, is fully man and he's fully God, okay? He's human and he's divine and that's in one being and it's a mystery, it's wonder inducing. We literally just sung, come behold the wondrous mystery, he the perfect son of man. It's mysterious, it's beautiful, it causes us to worship and in the Bible there are different moments where we see different sides of this. So for example, we just sung about holy, 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 this picture of Jesus ruling and reigning from heaven and there are moments all throughout scripture, especially where the apostle Paul just loves to explode with praise and say, hey guys, did you know Jesus is the supreme ruler of the universe. He created all things. He's so powerful, you can't even imagine it. So there are those moments where we see the divinity of Jesus. And then there are these moments like this in the gospel accounts where we see a Jesus who feels emotion. We see a Jesus in the gospels who gets tired. We feel a Jesus, we see a Jesus who gets hungry. We see the humanity of Jesus displayed as a man. And this is one of those moments where we get to behold the humanity of Jesus. And I think we're more used to the divine Jesus. But this is an opportunity to have an eyewitness account from the gospel writer Luke of Jesus's humanity, where he's experiencing emotion. And the first thing we're going to do today is just sit with that truth for a moment and look at some of the implications of that for our life. It says Jesus began to weep. Now, this isn't a Hollywood 
cry, okay? Like it might be easy with that picture that we just saw right there to imagine Jesus being on the brow of the hill. The lighting's perfect. There's a camera crew, like we've got to catch this moment. You know, and then it's like, it's the single Hollywood tear just coming down Jesus's eye in the perfect lighting. That's not it. That's not what this word translated weep means. It literally means to be overcome with emotion, a vocal and visual display of emotion. Jesus is weeping. Jesus is overcome with emotion and we can't rush past this because it's important and has implications for our own lives. Friends, I'm actually really thankful that this passage made it in. This particular verse, the Holy Spirit put it in for us and I'm really, over these last few weeks, I've been meditating on this and it's been speaking to me and and, and it's for this reason. If you are in this room and you have ever wept bitterly, If you are in this room and you've cried alone in your car, you've sobbed into your pillow at night, you've been so tired you couldn't even get off the floor or out of bed. If you've ever been in that moment experiencing that kind of sorrow and grief, Jesus knows what that's like. Our God in flesh knows what that's like. He's been there. He's experienced that kind of sorrow, that kind of grief. And do you know why that brings me great comfort? Because when I'm experiencing those kinds of emotions, God isn't on the sidelines looking and saying, John, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Get up, stop crying, figure it out. No, God in Jesus is saying, I know what that's like. I've been there too. And so in the moments of my deepest grief and sorrow, I find myself in a relationship with God who can empathize with what I'm going through. He can be right there with me and I can know that Jesus is there. He's felt these things and he is one who comes alongside and empathizes with me in my experience of sorrow and with grief. But here's the thing. Not only can Jesus empathize with my sorrow and grief, he can offer me hope in the midst of it. Because here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we do not grieve, we do not weep without hope. Because this Jesus who stands and weeps tears over Jerusalem is the same Jesus who is coming back to make it all new. Because the reason Jesus is weeping here is because he's budding up against the brokenness of the world. In just a few moments, we're going to look at specifically why he is so overcome. But what's happening here is Jesus is encountering a world that has gone wrong. He's encountering a world that it should not be this way. And the tears of Jesus testify to the fact that this world is not as it should be, that sin and human rebellion have had terrifying and terrible effects on all area of human life. And so Jesus is butting up to this reality that the world is broken and not as it should be. And his response to that is to weep and to cry. But here's how Jesus is different than us. Because yes, Jesus is fully man and weeps like we weep, but he's also the risen Lord. He's the one who's gonna come back. He's the one who's going to come and remake the earth and all that is wrong will be made right because he has the power to renew. He's going to come back and it will all be well. And that weeping Jesus will come and he will dry our tears. So friends, profound realities as we behold the weeping Jesus today, two things you need to know. The first is this, if you are in that place of sorrow and grief, you're not sinning by crying. If anyone's ever made you feel bad, like you weren't having enough faith because you were crying, 
Jesus, the son of the living God in perfect relationship with the father, his experience to the brokenness of this world was to cry. If Jesus cried, it's okay for us to cry. And in those moments where we're experiencing our life touching up against the brokenness of this world, we're experiencing difficulties, sorrow and grief, Jesus is right there with us and can empathize. But secondly, secondly, in those moments, Jesus doesn't just offer offer empathy, he offers hope because he's the one who's gonna do something about what we're experiencing so that the worst things we experience, the brokenness we experience, the difficulties we experience, they're not gonna have the final word because he's gonna come back and he's gonna make it all new. And the end for all of us is resurrection and life and hope. So Jesus weeps. Behold the weeping Jesus. I remember a moment at my grandma. Grandma's funeral, Avril McMinn was her name, an amazing woman. And we were at the graveside and we were, we were weeping. There was sorrow, there was grief because this isn't how it was supposed to be. Jesus did the same thing when his buddy Lazarus died. He stood by the grave of Lazarus and he wept as well because death is not what it's supposed to be and it's right to feel sorrow and grief at that moment. But I remember the Scottish minister at the side of her grave saying, but we will see Avril again because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life and we will be with her for all eternity. You see, we grieve, Jesus is with us and empathizes in our grief, but he offers us life-transforming hope in the midst of it. Behold the weeping Jesus. Friends, let's, let's behold the longing Jesus, okay? Let's look into this, this idea. Let's pay attention to what Jesus is actually saying as he's having and experiencing this sorrow and grief. This is what he says. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. There's such a fascinating window in this moment into how God feels about the lost, how God feels towards in himself those who are actively rejecting what he comes to bring. Can you hear it in his voice when he says this? How I wish today how I wish he's longing that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Let's just remember what's happening here. Jesus is the Messiah who's come to save God's people. We've had centuries of the people of Israel crying out for a savior, for God to deliver them, for him to step in and bring peace. They've been crying. The prophets have been whispering of the one who is to come. And he's here and he's walking the streets of Jerusalem and they've missed it. They're missing him. They're missing what he's come to bring. This is what's going on. And it is grieving the heart of Jesus because he's right there bringing what they've been praying and longing for, but they are missing it because they will not receive what he has to bring. And it grieves the heart of God. Those who reject what God has to bring, God weeps over them. He's grieved by this. You know, At this moment, Jesus also is weeping over something else. He's having a prophetic vision of the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus is really clear. He's tying in their rejection of him to this judgment that is coming from God. Because they're rejecting him, there are going to be consequences. And we do need to see something in this moment and we need to stop and pay attention here. 
Because this vision of Jerusalem's destruction is a reminder to us today that there are consequences from rejecting Jesus, who is life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the resurrection and the life. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. The reality is that Jesus came to save. Why? Because we need saving. We are lost in our sin. We are disconnected from the God who made us for relationship. We need to be saved. We need our sin forgiven. And Jesus came to do that. But for those who reject that, we see God's judgment here. To reject Jesus is to reject salvation and life itself and face judgment. And that's what we see Jesus weeping over here, this vision of the judgment that's to come. But friends, I find this fascinating and astounding that as Jesus is speaking of the just judgment to come over a people who are about to crucify him, he's doing it through tears rather than rejoicing or gloating. Because can I just put us in his position? If I was coming before a group of people who I knew were about to murder me and kill me, I don't know if my response to that people would be to weep over them. I don't think it would be. Maybe some of you in here are better along the journey than I am. But I think I would have some choice words for those people. I think I would have some things to say about what they're about to do to me. And if I knew that the people who were gonna kill me were gonna face consequences later, I think I would say, well, go ahead, but you guys are gonna get what's coming to you. You're gonna get what's coming to you. And Jesus could have in that moment, rightly so, been like, Jerusalem, you're about to reject me, but just you wait. But he doesn't, because that's not our Jesus. He weeps, he weeps. And this is so important because it deconstructs your vision of God as an angry bully who's waiting to take us out. And some of us might have a picture of God that way. Maybe you grew up hearing that God hates you, that his, his heart towards you is just one that's full of hatred and you're a wretched sinner and God hates you. But you know what? He'll only just take you in because Jesus has done everything that he can. And so, you know, Jesus loves you and now his father's gonna love you. That, that's a wrong picture of God, friends. Yes, all of us in our sin are in need of salvation. We stand under God's judgment and we need the life-giving salvation of Jesus. But those who are actively rejecting that, in this moment, what's God's heart towards them? Yes, there's still judgment, but he's weeping over it. He's longing for them to turn around. He's longing for it to be different. So God's heart towards the lost, yes, there's still judgment, but he's weeping as he's pronouncing it. God longs for the salvation of the lost. God isn't Zeus holding his lightning bolts, just ready to take out Sam because he sinned again. No, that's not Jesus. He's not, that's not who he is. Our God is the one who is waiting patiently, waiting patiently. Friends, this is really important that we understand this. Why does God have this longing? Why does Jesus say this? How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. It's quite simple, it's, it's this. He's wishing that because Jesus came to save. He's wishing that it could be different because that is the heart of Jesus. Jesus came to save lost people and when he's not able to save lost people because they reject him, it grieves his heart. So Jesus' heart is towards all those who are lost and he weeps over and longs for those who are rejecting him. A couple of really important passages to help establish this, guys. This is from scripture, okay? I'm not making this up. First Timothy chapter two says this. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved. You know what? Last night, I just had to check. 
that I really understood what that phrase in the Greek, all people meant. So I busted out, you know, five commentaries. You know what they all said? It means all people. Okay, this is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of our God, our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved. God desires all people to be saved. Jesus longs for all people to be saved. Let that sit with us. Second Peter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus desires to save people. That's why he comes. And when he can't, it grieves his heart and he longs for those people. There's a text earlier in Luke where he says this over the people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. God longs for the lost, for those who are rejecting him. He wants to come. He's weeping over them, longing for them, desiring to bring them into his fold and show them his life-transforming love. This morning, I wanna encourage you, friends. If there are people in your life that you're longing for, you're lo- for years, you've wanted to see them come to know Jesus in faith and you've been praying, Those texts that we've just read and the heart of Jesus weeping in this moment tells us something important. That's what God wants too. God wants to save people. He's longing for those who are rejecting him. So keep praying, keep persevering. Find opportunities and moments to speak truth to those who are lost. Communicate the love of Christ wherever you can. Jesus is longing for them. He's weeping over them. Friends, this morning as we behold the longing Jesus. I think there's a, there's a question for us here. As we look over the city of Coquitlam, maybe on a Saturday evening when it gets a bit warmer, you might head up the Coquitlam Crunch because you're realizing winter, you know, had a few too many carbs. Want to head up the crunch, get in shape. And then you come to the top and you look out from Westwood Plateau and you see the city of Coquitlam. We need to ask ourselves, what would Jesus see if he was standing in that place? As Jesus looks out over the Tri-Cities, what does he see? Well, we know that he's a savior who weeps over Jerusalem, a lost people. And I, and I believe that Jesus weeps over, longs for the lost people of our city. And there's a question for us today as we look to Jesus and it's to ask ourselves this, do we have that same posture? Are we grieved by the lostness of our cities? Has the reality that the majority of people who live in the Tri-Cities currently stand under God's judgment, they're currently rejecting his offer of peace, does that reality bring us to tears? Does it grieve us? Do we have a longing for the people in our neighborhoods, a longing for the people in our families and workplaces and schools? We need to ask ourselves that this morning. And here's the thing. The only one who can give us that heart is God. And so the way to do that is not to beat ourselves up. It's to come before God and say, God, would you give me your heart for Coquitlam? God, would you give me your heart for Port Coquitlam? God, would you give me your heart for my neighborhood so that I wouldn't just see homes as I drive past. I would see people that you're longing for, people that you're weeping over. God, help me to see the reality of the lostness of the cities around him. We need to pray that. We need to invite God to give us Jesus-shaped eyes for our city. And then Jesus-shaped feet to go. And Jesus-shaped lips to speak truth and life to those who are lost. We need to pray these things. So we've beheld 
the weeping Jesus, the longing Jesus. I wanna finish our time now by inviting us to behold the visiting Jesus. Let's look at these final words that Jesus speaks in this passage. And you've got to remember, this is the God-man, Jesus Christ, the one who made the mount that he's standing on. And he's saying these words through tears. You did not recognize it when God visited you. Through tears, you did not recognize it when God visited you. The Lord of creation had showed up to walk the streets of Jerusalem and they didn't see it. They missed it. And lest we today go, wow, I can't believe they missed it. Friends, we can miss it. I'm here to tell you today that we can miss the visitation of Jesus in our life. And I'm not just talking about people who don't know him yet. Us as followers of Jesus, we can miss God in our lives all the time. And so what I wanna do in these last couple of minutes is just encourage us wherever we're at in our journey with God, whether we don't yet trust him or we've been working with him, walking with him for years, we don't want to miss the visitation of God in our lives. So let me first talk to those here today who don't yet know God. You haven't yet received the peace that Jesus longs to bring. Can I just first say this? Jesus weeps over you and he longs for you. There is a God who made you. None of you in this room are here because of random chance, because of indifferent chance in the universe. No, you've been made with intention and love by a creator who longs to know you, who longs to bring you peace, to welcome you into his arms like a mother hen, to bring you safety and life. And the judgment that we saw that would come upon the people of Jerusalem, it's a picture of God's judgment, but you know what Jesus did for you? He went and he took that judgment upon himself on the cross so that you wouldn't have to receive it, so that you instead could receive the forgiveness of sins and you could be washed clean, welcomed in, saved, seated with God forevermore. So friends, <laughs> Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem to save. And I honestly believe this, earnestly, that he walks the streets of the Tri-Cities, even this space this morning, with a heart to save people. So if you're here, Jesus longs for you, he weeps over you, and he offers himself to you. Would you receive him? Don't miss the visitation of Jesus in your life. Don't say next week. Don't say 10 years from now. Don't say when I've got my life cleaned up. Now is the time. Look to Jesus. Say, I love you, Jesus. Come into my life. Receive what he has come to bring. Ah, oh, those words, how I, how I wish that you had seen the way to peace. Friends, how many different false pieces do we pursue in one week? Little tiny things where we're searching for peace and meaning. They're all worthless. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. One way to peace. His name is Jesus. And he's here and he wants to visit us. So, so, please hear this. God is not an impersonal force. He's not a philosophy. God is a person. His name is Jesus. He wants to know you and love you and welcome you. Would you turn to him? Trust in him. Receive what he's come to bring. Don't miss him. And friends, to those of you who have already received this peace, you, you would say that you're a follower of Jesus. You love him. You know what he's come to bring. You know what he took on the cross in, in your place. And today you're thinking, yeah, that's good. Here's what I would say. God doesn't just visit us once in our life. 
He didn't save you and then go to an all-inclusive in Cancun to sit by a pool and let us get on with it. God is a visiting God. God wants to be a part of our everyday. Did you know this? That Jesus Christ wants to be in our lives. There's an invitation to welcome the transforming work of God into every area of our life. Jesus wants to speak to us. Jesus wants to visit us. Jesus wants space in our life that he would have influence so he can lead us to go and do what he would like us to do. And the reason I'm saying this is because at the beginning we said, when we behold Jesus, we become like him. The problem is, we spend our life beholding everything else. <laughs> and so easy, the beholding Jesus part just gets to like number 20 on the to-do list. And so I'm not coming with a big condemning word to figure it all out, church, because this is my life too, okay? <laughs> this is where I'm at. And I can tell you that because of this passage, because I don't wanna miss God's visitation in my life, I don't wanna miss what he has for me. I don't wanna miss when he has things to say to me. The Spirit's been doing like a work in my life of showing me the areas where my attention is going to meaningless and frivolous things. And I'm asking God, God, keep showing me, man. Keep showing me. Because I wanna let those things go and I want to carve out space to behold you. Help me to do that. And it hasn't been like a nice little, you know, kind of chiseling where God's like, yeah, just take a little bit. These last couple of weeks, it's like God went to, you know, KMS tools. He rented a pneumatic drill. He's just like, and it's just like chunks of me are falling off, friends. And some of us have chunks that we need to fall off. We need the Lord to do a work of clearing out space in our life for us to behold him. And so I'm not gonna give you a big list of all the different things that we need to maybe put away. Spirit of the living God can do that. Take some time, ask God, God, I want to behold you in my life. God, I do not wanna miss your visitation. I don't wanna miss one thing that you have for me. So help me to do an audit of my life to see where I'm wasting my time, where I'm giving my attention to meaningless things. And Lord, help me to prioritize beholding you in my life, to give my best and first attention to you. God, help me. Wow, that'd be a powerful prayer to pray, hey? (laughs) And then to have the courage to follow up when God shows us what he's asking us to do. Friends, let's not miss the visitation of Jesus in our life. And hey, Lent leading up to Easter, what an amazing opportunity we have. What an amazing opportunity to do an audit of our life and to ask that question, maybe with some trusted friends. Hey, I don't wanna miss what God has for me. I want more of Jesus in my life. Hey, what do you see? What do you see in my life? What are some things we can do together to behold God? What are some things that we can put aside to make more space? Behold the visiting Jesus. He wants to do more in our lives, friends. If we'll allow it, if we'll carve out space to give him attention. Behold Jesus the weeping Jesus, the longing Jesus, the visiting Jesus. Can we pray? Let's pray. God, you are so good. (laughs) And we are so quick to search in our lives for peace and meaning and validation in areas outside of you. And you are the God who longs to visit us and speak truth and life and transform us and bring us into greater and greater depths of intimacy to do a deeper work of transforming, to help us live and love like you. And so God, I pray that this would be a time where you would speak to us about what that can look like. There are some things in our lives that we need to stop paying attention to. And there are some things that we need to pay more attention to, things that allow us to behold you, Jesus. So God, help us, show us, 
And as you show us, God, would you empower us to make decisions, to make choices, to make, you know, disciplined action to put you first in our life. We need your help. We're so in need of your help. God, I wanna pray for people in this room right now who, that first point about weeping, it's not a conceptual reality. It's what they're experiencing right now. There are people here who are experiencing deep grief and deep sorrow. Jesus, I pray, would you comfort them? Holy Spirit, would you come around them and first remind them that they are not alone and you know what it's like. And secondly, that you're not gonna leave it this way. This will not be the end of the story. So bring confidence and peace to them today, I pray, a, a living hope that would meet them. And secondly, Lord Jesus, I, I wanna pray for those who are longing, those who are longing for the salvation of loved ones and family and friends. God, would you continue to give us wisdom and discernment to know how to reach out, how to speak about you and what you bring and the life and the peace that you wanna offer. Give us boldness and give us wisdom to know how to do that. And God, would you stir and awaken in this church a deep desire to see the lost saved in Coquitlam. Let us not sleep on that reality. Let us not be cold to that reality. Remind us, Lord Jesus, let it not sit okay, but would it bring longing and weeping in us, I pray. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things, amen. Amen, amen. church. I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna to respond together in song. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.